0: Blog Talk Radio. Hi there, I'm Laura Mize, Pediatric Speech-Language Pathologist, and welcome to Teach Me to Talk, the podcast. Today, we are going to be talking about a topic that is so near and dear to my heart, and it's supporting the needs of moms and At (laughs) with a special holiday edition of Teach Me To Talk The Podcast. And I sent this post yesterday to um, email subscribers and have gotten so much good feedback about it that I thought, you know, I'm going to save the topic that I had planned for this week's show for next week and go ahead and do this one because I think it's so important that we, especially as early interventionists, really understand what we can do very very simple things that we can do to truly understand and empathize and support the parents of children on our caseload and now this is based on a post that I wrote back for Mother's Day weekend in 2012 and I thought about it yesterday and sent it out and then as I said I got several emails saying how much they enjoyed the post and People were passing it along if they're supervising students or teaching in graduate programs. So I thought, hmm, I think this is a good topic for the show. So let's just talk about that. And if you want to read the post, it's at uh, teachmetotalk.com, and you'll just need to search supporting the needs of moms for Mother's Day. But let's not forget the dads, too. I doubt I'll do a Father's Day show (laughs) because in reality, most of the time, we as Early intervention and preschool therapists most often deal with moms. However, I have worked with so many fantastic dads, and actually right now through the website I'm consulting with a couple of different dads right now who are – the voices for their families in reaching out to me and asking for advice and for help. And so we we don't want to leave dads completely out of this. It sounds a little bit sexist when you're reading the article, and I just keep saying moms and mother and really referring to that. But um, So let's just talk about these recommendations. And, you know, if you've worked for several years, maybe even shorter than that, You certainly have seen moms who are at their best and who really, really, really rise to the occasion for their children when they realize that their babies are not developing as they would like and their young children are not reaching their language milestones. We see moms who just get in there and who dive in and take it as their personal life's mission to make things better for their child and they just go like gangbusters and I'm always so impressed when I see a mom like that and I just admire them and respect them so much for the dedication and the vigilance that they demonstrate as they really decide hey I'm the leader here and I know you're the therapist and I know I'm seeing a whole bunch of people with a a lot of knowledge who are telling me what's wrong but I am my child's best resource. I am the person who is with My kid, more than anybody, I love this baby to pieces and nobody can know this kid and spend as much time and really make as much of a difference in this child's life as I know that I can. And so when I see that, I just think, oh, that mom is at her best. You know, she is, she is just made for this. She's going to make such a difference. You know, I'm so impressed with her dedication. But sometimes we see the flip side of that. We see parents who get the news, especially when there's a chronic or a lifelong diagnosis, or if mom or dad maybe have a touch of perfectionism, and boy, can I relate to that. (laughs) And so you have these hopes and dreams for your child, and it never, ever includes a language delay or a big, like I said before, lifelong, life-altering diagnosis that their child gets at two or three. And when parents go through that, there is naturally a time of depression and of grief and sadness because nobody ever thinks that a baby, while you're pregnant, or if you're dreaming of a child, even if you find yourself, you know, suddenly a parent and you didn't really expect to plan that, you just don't anticipate the day-to-day uh, responsibilities of caring for a child with developmental delays and special needs. And so it can be a real shock for parents. It can be a real punch in the gut. And so I've had, you know, families have all different reactions to news, just like all of us do. And some of us need to regroup and take some time for ourselves. And so at the beginning, to, to really process what's happened and to really adjust um, and some of us, again, just because of our temperaments and our emotional preparedness, do better at that than others. And so I, I, like you, if you've worked for a while, have seen parents with all different responses and a whole different range to hearing something is not going as expected with my child's development. So, And also I've seen parents at various Uh, coping with other crises that are in their life. It might be that they have a young child with developmental differences and a parent who is dying or and four other children and they don't understand or their marriage or relationship is in serious crisis. And so we meet them at the worst possible time of their lives. So that can be really, really daunting too for a parent and for a therapist when you're thinking, how am I going to make the recommendations I need to make that will truly make a difference in this child's life, but this mom has so much on her plate, or sometimes we don't even go there. We don't realize just what a parent is going through, and we're kind of compartmentalized and thinking, oh, she's got to devote her whole life to working with this child who we've just identified has a developmental difference, and we are so excited as therapists to say, hey, we know we can get in there and make a difference. We know that with lots of attention and time and dedication to this issue, we can make this better. Yet moms and dads aren't able to do that because of other things they have, other real pressing, dire situations that have had consequences that we don't even know about. And a parent is trying to navigate and deal with all of these really important issues at one time. And so, again, sometimes we're not as sensitive to that. So let's just talk about ways, really practical ways, that we can support parents who are in this position and support families that we are seeing and meeting And really, really understand, again, not so much from a clinical perspective, because we're not going to be talking about specific strategies today. We're talking about things we can do directly for moms and dads who are in this situation. And these are just real-life recommendations. These are things you don't necessarily learn in grad school or even from your first supervisor or two. These are things that all of us need to know, though, to make the very best Impact that we can with families. So let's talk about these things. And again, if you are in the position that I've been in, that you are a speech language pathologist or another kind of therapist and also a parent, and then you too have been on the other side, you've had a child or have a child who also has some learning differences. And if you've listened to the show for a while, you know that. Our oldest son, who is now an adult, is a, a not just a young adult. I mean, he's a real adult now. He's 27. And, you know, certainly uh, his history, again, if you've listened to the show, he was diagnosed with uh, a severe learning disability when he was in first grade, and that really just took me by surprise. He had some quirks when he was a toddler and a preschooler. But like a lot of first-time moms who were even – therapist (laughs) I missed a lot of those I mean I knew that there were some things that were not typical but you know I put on those rose-colored glasses that lots of us as parents and therapists do that really really benefit us (laughs) I looked at his strengths rather than his weaknesses and I did everything I could to support his individual learning style and it turned out okay (laughs) And, again, if he were, I hate to talk about him like this. He never listens to the show, but, boy, it would embarrass him. But let me just say, if he were born in 2017 instead of 1989, he may have gotten an autism diagnosis, a high-functioning autism diagnosis. And if he had not had two full-time parents who just lived and breathed for him, (laughs) and uh did everything that we possibly could, his outcome could have been markedly different than it is. But I'm saying all this just to tell you, one, if you're a parent, you're listening, you have some hope. Yeah, you things can really, really turn around for a kid. And I've seen that over and over, not just in my personal life, but also in my professional life. And also, you know, I'm I'm saying this just so that if you're a therapist and you don't have a kid with special needs or are learning difference uh, or, or some some kind of quirk that's going on, or that's pretty pretty widespread or pretty pervasive. It is a totally different ball game when the kid that you're thinking about that's not typically developing is your own child. And again, I've shared this in conferences that I, in courses that I teach live, and it's probably even on some of the courses that I've taught on DVD. But it is it was just gut wrenching for me to go to his IEP meetings, and he um again had to do some special education and therapy services and all of those things and so I had would have those meetings regularly but it broke my heart to be on the other side of the table and again it's a totally different position when you're the parent of one of those children versus when you're there as a professional so we really have to think about parents in that way and realize that we're dealing with somebody else's baby and always put ourselves in that position and be as kind and as gracious and as generous as we can, really, really starting at that place first where we're recognizing how just heartbreaking and and really traumatizing for some parents uh, getting the news that their child is not developing as they expected. So that being said, we have to start with a very... Non-judgmental aspect, and lots of us aren't like this. You know, we we go into this profession because we love kids and we love working with kids, and we by default love their parents, <laughs> and we want to do everything we can. But every once in a while, you may have something that just sort of tugs at you, and you are really upset by choices that a parent have might have made, or you're a little bit judgmental in that. You know, she's not devoting enough time to this child or this home is not the kind of home that I would want to raise a child in. Or, you know, this is, you know, you have these situations where you're, especially when you do home visits or when you have a parent even who's who's coming to your school or your office and you think, oh, she just does not have it together. You know, this child would be so much better if off if I could pick him up and put him in another family. And I understand when people feel like that because I certainly have gone there <laughs> A few times in my career, but we have got to pull that back because the truth is if a mom has a child, if a parent has a child in therapy, they are doing something right. Now, I have worked with children where earlier in my career when I solely did home visits and early intervention where I saw a lot of kids who were in pretty drastic situations and I was there because of court order, you know, maybe – Kids were neglected or there had been some abuse or there was just some kind of suspicion and the child was still left in the home, but the family had lots and lots of intervention there. And I wasn't the only person, you know, they would have social workers and uh, case managers and other therapists in besides me. And so we will have those situations too. But even then, we have to remember that parents are trying and we have to just give them a huge dose of respect to start and let them know that, you know, we are on their side and we are we are there. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that in a minute. Uh, but, you know, anytime we're seeing a kid who's in services, it's much, much, much better. It's a better situation than a child who is having no intervention at all. And so if we start from that perspective, well, at least he's in therapy. At least she's seeing someone We're going to be in a much better position to truly, truly help a family. If you have worked in the public school system for any length of time, you've probably met children who show up for the first day of kindergarten, and immediately the teacher and you and whoever else is observing that child recognize, gosh, there are huge developmental gaps, and you wonder, where has this kid been? How is... How has nobody referred this child for services before? How in the world did this mom and dad not know that something is horribly awry with this situation with their child? You know, I I can't believe he's five or he's six, and this is what's happening. And so if we think about that, for any kid that we're seeing at two and at three and at four, again, they're in a much better position than if they show up on the first day of school and no one's done very much about their uh, particular uh, situation. So let's just kind of start out with that, that perspective. So beyond that initial respect and appreciation for how tough it must be for a mom in that situation, what else can we do to support a mom of a toddler with special needs? So I have this little list and let's start with number one here. First of all, Be honest. Let's answer her questions honestly. And here's the truth a kid may have seen lots and lots of specialists before they ever get to you, or you may be the only, the first person that a family really, really interacts with. But let's just kind of go back and talk about that first situation uh, before we get to the next situation. Sometimes children, even those with really significant Issues and diagnoses. So a kid, maybe with a cerebral palsy diagnosis, or Down syndrome, or some other genetic abnormality, a child may have been to lots of specialists. So the neurologist, the orthopedic uh, doc, pediatricians, geneticists—all those things. That even though parents may have spent hours with the child with different medical professionals, sometimes those doctors do not say clearly enough beyond that initial, you know, these just kind of problems that he or she may have, sometimes they leave late talking out. So you may be in the situation where You are seeing, and I'm thinking about a handful of families that I've worked with, especially in the last few years now that I get to see kids from all over the country and people bring their kids to me, you know, for another opinion or things aren't going right and they just want a fresh set of eyes. And so I'll get to see these children who, again, may not be walking at three, certainly not talking. They may have pretty significant deficits, Yet the parents are there because they're hopeful and they're thinking, you know, just one more person or or a lot of times what's happened is that the doctor has so concentrated on so many of the other physical aspects of a child's issues that they neglect to talk about things like cognition or learning. And they certainly don't talk about language delay. They just assume that a parent will know. They assume that a parent will understand, hey, he's got this big you know, muscle tone issue going on and they think that a A parent will go ahead and extrapolate that information to the point where they know he's going to be a late talker, or he's going to have a lifelong problem communicating with other people. And so we can't just assume that someone has already spelled that out for the family. And and let me just say, I've seen highly educated parents because in my practice, I'm you know a private practice, I take cash as payment. I don't even file insurance. So people are paying me directly with their own hard-earned cash. And so that naturally kind of puts them in a different income bracket. And so they're highly educated and have all kinds of resources, yet they still don't know. They No one's ever, again, actually said the words no wonder he's not talking yet or with everything that's going on with her I wouldn't expect that she would be on time with her language development yet and so they just haven't the parents haven't gotten to the point where they could hear that news yet a doctor may have even said it to them but they didn't process it so we have to really really Tell a family what to expect, even when there's already a very firm diagnosis in place. And sometimes, again, parents can hear, you know, your child's going to have developmental delays, but, again, they do not think that it will include how a kid understands language or how a kid goes on to learn how to talk. So you have to explain, 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 and keep explaining what's going on with that child's language development. Sometimes we're the very first professional that a family sees beyond a pediatrician and so it's a lot of times it's that we're the first person who definitively confirms a parent's suspicions and so in that situation you naturally know that you're going to have to really talk about language delay and really talk about how language develops and tie that in with the child, what other things that you're seeing about a child. And again, a parent may have known there's something wrong, and certainly they have because they've gotten therapy services going, they've gotten some other uh, developmental or uh, other evaluations going. So there's they know something's going on, but you might be the very first person to deliver that Official news, and so because of this unique position that we're in, we have to really be so careful with answering questions as honestly and as openly as we can again without <laughs> without judgment, without um, just with brutal honesty, so that we're letting parents know exactly what we're thinking about the child now sometimes therapists are really reluctant to do that because you think i'm going to hurt this parent's feelings or i don't really know i don't have a crystal ball i don't really know what this kid's future looks like and that's all right but we have to be as honest as we can be particularly when a child has significant delays and when you know in your heart of hearts this is not going to go away soon he's not just going to wake up tomorrow morning and talk And so you have to really, really deliver that news. Sometimes you are the person that's really confirming that mom's worst nightmare. And I heard Dr. Rossetti say this years and years ago, you know, you never signed up to be a dream killer. (laughs) But sometimes we are being in that uncomfortable position of having to share bad news, especially when a parent is not expecting it at all, a lot of times kids will come to us with pretty significant red flags for autism and no one has mentioned that, and you have to be the very first person to kind of go there. And that can be so unsettling and just downright scary. You know, uh, even now as I have these conversations with parents, I can hear my voice shake. I can feel that pit in the bottom of my stomach where I think, oh, my goodness, this mom has no idea what I, what's going on with their kid, and no idea what I'm about to say. And you try to go there gently, and as you try to meet a parent where they are emotionally and deliver the news, but sometimes in bite sized chunks, or sometimes you just decide, hey, he, you know, this. I'm thinking particularly about um, people that I've talked to in the last few weeks where they ask you really direct questions, and when they keep going back to, Let's talk about this again. What do you think, based on your experience, is happening with my child? And, you know, you may not have seen that child for very long yet, but you know in your heart of hearts mm, this is not good. I need to go ahead and share that news. And sometimes we, as therapists, again, just get really timid about that. It might be our personalities, that, or we might not have worked long enough yet to be confident or comfortable in this kind of role. We might think that it's beyond our scope of practice to really diagnose officially uh, a, a, a scary diagnosis like autism, sometimes therapists say, hey, I want to wait and see. I might be wrong about this kid. He might look different in six months and I don't really want to say this to this parent if I don't have to. In my opinion, that's not really ethical. That's not really right. I think if a parent's asking you questions, we need to answer them as honestly as we can. If we don't feel that we are the professional who can truly address or or definitively confirm what our uh, initial impressions are about a child. We need to refer that family on to a professional who can. It's our responsibility to help parents find those answers to their questions, even when it's uncomfortable for everybody involved. There's a bright side, though, (laughs) to all of this honesty and sharing with parents. We know the most fantastic news that no matter what is going on with the kid – Early intervention will give a child a, his very best shot at achieving her highest potential. And so even when we are saying to a parent, look, I'm extremely concerned about da 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 da, da and we list those things that we are concerned about, we always need to follow up with, but you have done the right thing. You are on the right track. You have your kid in therapy. You are listening to me every week. You are following these recommendations. I can see that you are totally in this for your kid, and we need to really, really let them know about neuroplasticity. That means little brains can change. When we change input to a brain, it it gives us different outputs. So we are literally changing those little brains. And so we have to talk to parents about that. And even though, again, we are super honest and really telling them, hey, there's more going on here than I think we initially both thought, and we're starting those hard, hard conversations, we always need to follow up with that you're doing the right thing. And sometimes with the parent, you know, they'll say, is he ever going to be normal? Will he have an adult life? Will she be able to go to Will she have friends? Will she get married? Will she go to college? You know, we don't know all of those things, but we certainly have to share with the parent. You are doing the right thing. You are. Addressing all of these things early, your child is going to be much better off now than if you had waited until he or she is, you know, seven or eight, you know, which again to me as an early interventionist is, you know, like geriatrics, they are old (laughs) when they are seven and eight. So really, really reassure a parent with that um, truth that early intervention works and your kid will always be better off with services and with parents doing that daily intervention and really incorporating these strategies into what they're doing than if they had done nothing at all. All right, advice piece of advice number two. We have to listen to a mom's responses very, very, very carefully. And this is a way that we can support a mom because sometimes moms aren't the very best communicators either. And, again, because of their situations that they're going on, their emotional states may prevent them from sharing what could be a very important piece of information for you. And sometimes it's because we're listening, we're asking questions that that don't really get to the heart of a matter, and moms aren't really understanding what we're asking, so we have to listen to their responses very, very carefully so that we can tailor our recommendations and strategies based on that. And and here's what I was going to say about emotional states, and I, I talked about this a little bit earlier, but I want to really go back there. I think that depression is so underdiagnosed, and anxiety, those kinds of issues really aren't the forefront, And um, it's not what comes to mind when we as early interventionists start to really work with families. You know, we're in there for the kid and we're thinking all about the kid. But we're not realizing how devastated a parent might be. And so because they're dealing with their own emotions and processing all of this new information, they may kind of shut down or they may not be as honest with us. As we would like for them to be, and so we have to really. And, and again, I I'm not slamming that. I certainly have had periods in my life where I wasn't probably as forthcoming, or as open, or as readily willing to share things with another person, a, a professional, about how I was really, really, really feeling. And so we don't we don't know all of the questions or all of the, or or this is it, this is what happens a lot. We don't know what a parent is really thinking or what they could, if they were in a different place emotionally, what they would tell us about their child or their ability to do the things that we're recommending or their ability to understand what we're saying is really going on with their kid. So you have to listen super carefully for a mom's responses that let you know that she really doesn't understand the nature of her child's issues. So we don't have to miss that opportunity or we shouldn't miss an opportunity to clarify and educate and re-educate when moms are saying things that really don't match up. When a mom of a really severely um, impaired child says something like, you know, I know she's just going to wake up in the morning, and this is all gonna—it's all going to be over. I mean, that's denial. And sometimes, as a therapist, we'll just kind of let that go because we think mm, she's, oh gosh, you know, that's not really going to happen. But I don't want to take the wind out of her sails here. But at the same time, when we let a mom believe things like that, we don't want to take away hope. But we have to get them be, to be realistic because what happens? They start thinking that this is more about us as our ability as the professional rather than "Mm, this is a real serious issue that's going on with my child. And I used to kind of let that go. And again, I've already shared how positive and optimistic. I try to be about everything. I mean, the world can be crashing in around me sometimes and I will say, but let's look at this, you know, and my family kind of groans and says, Laura, mom, get real here. And so again, we have to be careful about walking that line with the parent. But when you realize that, that a mom really doesn't understand what you're trying to say, that's when we go back and, and really clarify and re-clarify and talk about, again, what we are seeing with a child. Sometimes moms and dads don't understand what we're doing with the child and how significant even these little changes can be and how services can written and their intervention and they're changing their approach can really really benefit uh, her child. And so you have to take the time to explain exactly what her child is doing that differs from what you want to see and then you have to say and here's how we fix it and here's how you've got to do things differently to help your child learn some new things. And so we have to discuss our treatment plans and our strategies every single time that we see parents so that they know what we're doing and they know what our end goal happens to be. And again, so many parents get focused or hyper-focused on the talking part that they don't really understand, hey, this is going to be a while. You know, talking is a long Term goal here it's not something that we think will happen next week or next month because there are some pretty significant developmental milestones that your child needs to achieve before talking is a realistic goal, and that's exactly how I say it to parents and then I go on to say, you know for example, you know when I'm with a kid who let's say that we're worried about red flags for autism, we may say you know his social engagement, his interaction. Is just not what we want to see. He's just not with us as much as we need for him to be with us so that he can learn to understand what words mean. You know, he can't, he's not going to be able to talk yet because he doesn't know what these words mean. He doesn't understand them yet. So we've got to work on this comprehension piece and this receptive language piece for a long time before we can. Ever expect to hear a little word, and again, that's exactly how I say it to parents. And I, I don't just say it one time at the end of the session and then say bye bye, see you next week. <laughs> we talk about it over and over and over and over, and we say to mom things like, you know, I know you're so anxious for him to talk, but you know, we've got some ground to cover here. Here's some things that we have to do every single day for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks before I think that we can realistically expect those first words to come. And so keep talking about what you're hearing from mom. Keep addressing what she's saying. If reality differs <laughs> from what she is thinking, you've got to really, really use that as a launching pad for your conversations with her to be sure that you the differences that she thinks she's seeing that you're not quite seeing or the differences in the work that you know that it's going to take to help her child get to where she and you want him to be, uh, you know, you've really, really got to talk that um, about that. Now a mom's responses can also tell you when she's really overwhelmed. And again, this can be different thresholds for different people. Some moms can really take lots and lots of (laughs) feedback from you. Some moms, Frankly, again, because of our different temperaments, you know, there's certainly been times in my life where the least hint of disappointing news makes me feel like I'm just going to crumble. And at that point, that particular day or hour or week or month or season, it's I just don't cope as well or haven't coped as well. And so it's it, it's a lot easier at that point in time to become overwhelmed and so when a mom is telling you things like hey this did not work for me this week or I didn't have time to do all that stuff you asked me to do or you know Laura you've been seeing him for three months and you're supposed to be really good at this job but frankly girl things are not better and I have had parents say that maybe not in that sassy a way but that's certainly what they mean and so when we hear those things we have to listen we have to figure out how can I make this easier for her? Are my, real, are my expectations for this mom and dad unrealistic? What can I do to help make it easier so that they can follow through? And let me just say, rarely will we have a mom who is investing her time and her energy and perhaps her money into getting a child help who doesn't want to do her part too. And even when they're there with you saying, hey, I know that you think that I'm not working on this and I'm doing the best I can, go there, listen to them, understand that they are saying, hey, you've got too much, I've got too much on my plate, you're expecting too much from me. And so you have to really realize that for some moms, less is more. Let's talk about that in a second, but let me just talk about one little thing first. Sometimes a mom's responses and a dad's responses are going to tell you that they are just waiting on you to wave that magic speech therapy wand <laughs> and just fix every single thing that is wrong with their kid, you know. And I say this in my course Early Speech Language Development Taking Theory to the Floor. And I know that if you have done home visits, you know what I'm going to say. Sometimes it's like a mom says to you, "Hey, I'm going to go in the kitchen, and when I get back, I expect him to be talking. (laughs) Because they kind of have that false hope that you are going to just be able to pull out something, again, the magic wand or some kind of little trick that will just turn everything on for her child, and it will happen in about 30 seconds, and she's going to come back in, and her sweet little baby is just going to be... You know, singing songs and quoting poetry and all of these things just in about, uh, you know, a two minute time period. And it does not work like that. And so we have to really, really address that. And that illusion that a parent might have really, that's just hope. And we, again, we're not taking that away from parents, but you have to just have those gentle conversations over and over and over and over, explaining therapy, getting a parent to buy into the treatment plan. Telling a parent in maybe gentler terms than this, but, you know, your expectations are unrealistic here. And then those instances of a parent really thinking, you know, that you have that magic wand that you're just going to pull out when nobody can see what you're doing or you're going to lay hands on that child and they're going to be instantaneously better. Those things will become less and less and less frequent um, in relationship to your ability to explain Language delay in your strategies and how all of that works together so keep working on your own skills if you have lots of parents who just expect a miracle every single time they come to see you you and and again that's kind of a broad thing you're seeing that with lots of kids on your caseload and it's it's the it's common for you, that means that you need to get better at explaining language development and better at saying, hey, these are the prerequisites that we have to see before your child's going to talk. Or, you know, we've got a lot of a. Atyp- I I see a lot of atypical patterns of development in your child, which means that we may not get to talking or get to playing with other kids or get to a regular preschool classroom right now. You know, that's just something that because of where your child is developmentally or because of, you know, whatever the specific diagnosis, we might have to say, gosh, I'm not sure that's ever going to happen. You know, I don't know that. I'm not, you know, a, a time traveler here. I don't really know for sure what's going to happen. But based on my experience and based on what I'm seeing, I think that that's an unrealistic expectation. And we never want to put that much pressure on your child or on you. So let's talk about realistically what's going on and what I see to be in our immediate future here with your child. Let's go back to the point that I mentioned before. Sometimes for moms, less is more. And I'm not saying that you tell a parent, hey, one time, one hour a month, a therapy is enough and they're going to be okay. I'm not saying that. (laughs) I'm saying that sometimes we can, in our excitement and in our zeal, to help a parent overwhelm moms with too many recommendations, and we just really increase their stress level and keep adding, let's do this and let's do that and let's do this. And we really make a mom feel out of control, and they feel like I cannot possibly do all of those things. And what happens when parents feel like that? They shut down. They tend to not do anything because they feel like, oh, I'm, you know, they feel like these expectations are unrealistic for me. I can't accomplish all that. I don't, I don't have all day. I had a dad one time several years ago say to me, Laura, I actually work for a living. I don't get to sit around and play with kids all day like you do. So my world looks a lot different than your world looks. <laughs> and I so appreciated that just brutal honesty because he's telling me, I don't have time for seven or eight different strategies. You need to tell me in very clear, simple, straightforward things, you know, one or two simple things that I can do, not your pie in the sky, grandiose, you know, here are the 25 things that I want you to get done before I come back next week, or here are 25 different situations and 25 different strategies that you need to apply all day, every day. So if you're in this situation where you find yourself providing just one great suggestion after another and a mom looks at you, you know, that deer in the headlights look, they seem to just be in total shock or they're just tuned out, they're just checked out. Sometimes we have moms that really shake their head in agreement. But they don't ever seem to follow through or, again, when you're listening to their responses to you, you can tell, oh, she didn't get that at all. She did not understand what I meant at all. But then we don't go back and really say, hey, let's talk about this again. I, I, I think I said it in a way that you didn't understand what I meant. If a mom seems to be tuning us out or they're just kind of glazed over again, Parents are telling you, hey, I need less to do, not more. So we really have to pull our recommendations back, and we have to help moms concentrate on a few simple things that she can do, a few simple things that will work with a child rather than giving her a whole litany, a whole big, long list of things that will never get done. Some moms can really only handle one new strategy at a time. And so when this happens, you know, thankfully I have finally learned my lesson and I gauge my recommendations on what I'm seeing and hearing from a mom from visit to visit. Less can be more for many, many, many moms, and that's okay. So be sure that you're kind of matching a parent's intensity level. Now, if a mom comes to you, again, and they are just total gang, like, you know, we're going to hit this like gangbusters, have parents who email me and say, Hey, I'm gonna work with my kid eight hours a day and I think, you know, first that's an incredible investment of their time. You know, I have to give her lots and lots and lots to do. That's okay in that situation. Or if you're talking about a parent and you're talking with a parent, you're talking about that twenty to twenty five hours a week recommendation And they are just like, okay, I'm going to do three hours a day. I'm going to do an hour in the morning, an hour in the afternoon, an hour at night, and they kind of get excited about it. And they are with you. Yeah, go ahead and pile it on with those parents. Really give them lots and lots to do. But when you say that to a parent and they are initially – hesitant and reluctant or combative even or like that dad who was just so brutally honest with me then you know i've got to pull this back they're not in a position where they can do this i still need to share the information i still need to say man there's lots we can do but i can tell that you're overwhelmed i can sense your uneasiness and your um hesitation and that you think that you can't do this but I want to help you and I want to tell you that you can do this and let's make this really really simple for the time being so this doesn't feel so out of control and let's make this really really fit into your life so that you know what you can do with your kid and that you can make a difference even if we feel like We can't get there yet with the amount of time that we need to do or all of the things that I'm recommending. Let's just boil it down and let's start with a few simple things. And parents really appreciate that. They appreciate it when you are listening to them and when you are sensing, man, this this mom has way too much to do. She does not feel like she can accomplish this. Let me pull this back a little bit and help her figure out really simple things that she can do. All right, point number four, we can't tell a mom how to help her child. We have to show her. Now, if you've listened to this show or if you've seen my DVD, Teach Me to Listen and Obey, one and two, <laughs> you know that I use the little tagline, uh, tell her, show her, helper, or tell him, show him, help him when we're helping a child learn how to, under, especially learn how to follow directions and understand words. And so tell him, show him, help him, you know, the tell part is verbal cue. So we're certainly applying this to parents too. We're telling them what we want them to do. We have to show them what to do. We have to model these strategies. Now in this age of consultative model, where and as a therapist you've heard that phrase before, but a lot of early intervention programs have really gone to a position of don't provide direct therapy for this child. You just need to make recommendations for the parent so that they can be the primary therapy provider. And that's fantastic. We you know, I've done that I've I've used that model with uh, making sure that parent education is the crux of what I'm doing with the kids. So making sure that I am educating and showing and teaching parents exactly what they need to do. I'm really honest about telling a parent, Hey, I know your kid can get better in one hour a week with me, but boy, is he going to get better if you jump on this bandwagon with us. And if we are working on this together and if you are doing these things all day long too. And so sometimes con- because of the consultative model, Excuse me, we don't ever get to the point where we actually do some things with the kids so that a parent can watch us and they can adapt what they're doing, they could tweak their approach. Parents want you to teach them how to do it. Parents don't know how to do therapy. You went to school as a therapist for, if you're a speech pathologist, six years. You got a master's degree. If you're an OT or a developmental therapist, you may not have your master's. It may just be with a bachelor's level, but somebody taught you for four years (laughs) how to do this. So a parent is not going to learn all that you know by you just sitting there One hour a week for, you know, three or four months, they're not going to be good at it yet. They've got to see a representation of what you want them to do. A lot of parents, too, aren't auditory learners. They're visual learners. So for those parents, they need to not only read about what you're telling them to do because of their that's how they process new information best. But they need to see you do it, which means you have to show them how to do therapy. A lot of times as we're talking to parents, they just hear that, hear your words. They don't process it, even though you're saying, I want you to, whatever your strategy is, they don't get it. They don't understand it. And they may say, yeah, okay, I'll do that, but have no earthly idea of what you are telling them to do with their child until they watch you over and over and over and over again. So don't let this um, recommendation from your state programs of not doing direct therapy, don't let that change your um, commitment to modeling strategies for parents. So you're going to say, hey, What I want you to do is expansion. Let's just take this as an example. Expansion is when a kid says one thing, one word, but you expand it to help him bump up to phrases. So if he says something like car and you're trying to get a kid to phrases and and mom then might say, oh, yeah, I see that car you're playing with. That's real cool. That won't help a kid make that leap to phrases. You have to teach a mom that we expand in, in just that next little level up. So you would say to a mom, All right, we're going to work on expansion, meaning that whatever he says, we want to take his utterance and add one more word to it. So I want you to listen to me right now. Let's let's play with these Legos that are laying right here. And uh, let me show you how I want you to expand. And so I want you to listen every time he says block or up or more. I'm going to repeat what he said, and I'm going to add just one more word. So listen to how I do this. And sometimes I'll have moms do things like keep data for me. I'll say, I want you to write the word he says, and then I want you to write the next little words I say. And so mom, we teach moms sort of how to do a language sample. And so they're sitting there, and they're watching you, and they're listening to you, and we're having them do something, which means that they're really participating. And then after that, you might say, okay, now it's your turn. (laughs) I want to see you do it so that we can tweak what you're doing. If this feels weird to you or unnatural, I bet I can I can help you find a way to, to make it feel better, so that you can do it all the time or more of the time. So, jump in here with me, and you I will, I want you to try this technique with me. And it's okay if you mess up, you know. And I say things like, "Boy." You should have seen me in grad school. I was a mess. My professors had to just come in and correct me and help me all the time, you know, or just say, th- or say, you know, man, my, my first supervisor was on me all the time about this. So it took me a really long time to learn it, so I'm not expecting you to learn how to do it perfectly here in one session. So just talk to moms about that and help them feel a little bit more um, at ease with getting direct recommendations from you and at ease with using the strategies you know we can't just make recommendations in a session and not ever see that a parent understands what we what we need them to do and so that return demonstration piece is critical for parents and again sometimes parents feel intimidated and uneasy about jumping in there with you. And so if you are showing them what to do and you are modeling it, and listen, here's a here's a really effective technique. If you mess up, if you were let's use that expansion example. Let's say that you are working on with a kid who's got some single words and he's ready developmentally to move on to phrases. So he has 35 to 50 single words and you want to get him to phrases and you know expansion is the way to get there. And he says mine and you launch into That's not yours. You know this is my turn with this toy and you realize uh oh, I have just messed up here. I'm not really I'm talking in sentences to a child that I should be talking in two word phrases to or modeling two word phrases to. You say to mom, look, did you see what I just did there? I messed that up big time. I cannot believe how hard this is some days. Here's what I should have said. And so when you point out your mistakes, when you critique something or if you if you are like me, in video a lot of your sessions, and that's not realistic for a lot of us, but you can certainly do it. You can show a mom. You can say, hey, I was watching our video from last week, and, you know, because we had these phones. You can say, let's look at this because I want to show you what I did with your kid or show you what we did when we were playing with your kid, but this is a better idea. So let's look at it. I'm going to critique us and evaluate us and say, what we could have done better, and then today we're going to do better. But sometimes going back and looking at the before or when it wasn't so good is really, really helpful for parents. So I wanted to be sure that um, you're mentioning – I wanted to mention that and be sure that you're using that strategy. And I get to do that a lot, again, because I video a lot of sessions. Or here's another time that I use video. You know, I have these DVDs that i produced and – I can show a little piece of one of those dvds and say this is what we should be doing or this is how this should look i'm going to show you this kid that reminds me of your kid or or you can say something like you know i want you to see this therapist and how she blah 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 you know whatever you're going for there how she's signing or how she's keeping her language really simple or how she's using a technique called tell him, show him, help him. Let's watch this little section together, and then let's implement it. So video demonstration can be really powerful. Now, it's even more powerful when it's her own kid and her or as a dad, you know, the dad's child and him. And you can say, hey, I'm not doing this to get on your case or tell you that you suck (laughs) or you are terrible at this. I'm just telling you this. I I want you to watch this with me, and then let's talk about it and talk about how we can Uh, change it and tweak it a little bit so that your child can benefit the most and you can say I know that you want to be the very best you can be at this and I was thinking about it and I want us to watch it and again if you can do that with yourself if you can make yourself kind of the the focus here or the, you know, the butt of the joke, you know, look how bad I screwed this up. Let's look at this because I don't want you to make the same mistake and watch that little replay of that video and then say, here's how we should have done it. Let's try it. And it's really powerful for a lot of parents, especially for parents who are perfectionistic and who don't want to act like that they're struggling or don't want to feel like they don't know what to do. That technique has been really, really disarming for lots of parents. And I I do it all the time. You know, I'm, I'm really quick to say, boy, I really screwed that up. Let's see if we can try that again, and a parent is really, really um, more apt to try again and realize we're not perfect at this, and this takes some work on our part, too. It's not always about changing the kid. We have to change ourselves, too, and so that can be really, really powerful. All right, this last recommendation is super important, and, again, it's one that I don't think that we talk about enough with parents, we have to let them know that we are there just as much for them as we are for their child. And this statement really, really takes care of parents and moms who don't want to participate in therapy. When we tell her, hey, I'm here, it is just as important for you to hear what I have to say, it really takes the the tendency for a mom to kind of check out during therapy or want to leave the room. I don't think that happens as much as it used to. You know, when I first started working over 20 years ago, in early intervention, we had a lot of families that you would get there and they would take that as, I am off. I will see you in an hour. You do all this therapy stuff and I'll be back. Thank you. I'm here for my break. So they viewed you as almost a babysitter. I do not think that happens as much as it used to just because of the focus at our state programs and that all of us have, you know, we've really embraced parent education as the first level of service that we provide for families. And so we know that we have to get families in there from the get-go. And we're you know, doing our IFSPs where we're talking about family routines and how can we fold all of this into what you already do. And so I think that that problem is, happens less frequently than it used to. But if it happens to you a lot as a therapist, You've got to change how you start with the family so that you can say to a parent things, like I just said, you know, it is just as important for you to be here for every single second of this session as it is for me to work with your child. Or sometimes you may have to say to a parent, and I know a lot of state programs really take this approach, you know, I'm not going to work with your child at all. I'm really working with you. Now, I don't go that far because I really do feel like that parent, unless I have to, Or, well, let me just say two little things. I know that I know that I know (laughs) that I am at implementing strategies. And so I, I want a parent to watch me do it because I think it is so powerful for them to see a good model of what can happen with a kid when you are implementing all of your strategies. So, I do want them to see that. But there's sometimes there are children that are really difficult to engage and really difficult for you to kind of get in there or for whatever reason. They hate your guts, <laughs> for lack of a better word. And so you really can't, especially at the beginning, because you haven't had time to establish a relationship with them, especially kids who have markers for autism or kids who are just, you know, almost to a debilitating point of shyness and reluctance to interact with anybody other than their own family members. So, for those kids, you really, really, really do have to say to mom, look, this is going to be about me teaching you what to do. And I wish that I could get in there and do more with your kid. But for right now, it is obvious that he doesn't know me well enough to really be able to interact with me. So, I'm just going to, this is, let's set up this situation. I want us to play with this, or I want us to have a snack, or I want to go outside and play, or I want us to go look out the window, or whatever it is that the family's doing. You know, if mom is saying, You know, we really need to get all these toys picked up so that we have a space to play. You say, great, here's what I want you to do. And you give her the strategy that she should be using. And you tell her, you know, for these moms, hey, I'm just going to teach you how to do it. Then I'm going to coach you through it. And you would do that for everybody anyway. But my point is, for so many moms, we need to let them know, and dads, hey, this is really, really, really about you. This is about what you need to be doing for your child. And I can make a difference with your kid most, I can make more of a difference or the most impact if I teach you how to do it so you can do this all the time. And again, you want to make, parents know that their presence is welcomed you invite them to participate you invite them to jump in you want it to be about them and what they need to do for their child I think that message of hey we are in this together we are a team mom and dad you are the most important people on this team you drive this whole process and so that could just be super super powerful for a parent, and it can really encourage them to to get in there and really be the leaders and the the focus of their uh, child's team. They can be their child's most powerful and most beneficial interventionist, and so we need to empower a parent uh, to feel like that and lots and lots of times, so let's kind of go to the emotional side. As a speech-language pathologist or an OT or developmental therapist, a teacher, whatever you happen to be, you might not feel like you are really equipped to deal with the parent's emotional issues like we've talked about today, their depression, their anxiety about having a child with some special needs. And you might say, you know, I can't even go there because I'm not really trained in that position. That's okay. Just let moms know that you are available to them. You are there to listen. And, again, We don't want to always make this about being friends with parents, and I'm not really saying that, but I am saying that we need to be open and we need to be available to hear them out when they just need somebody to say, this is hard. I've had more than one parent say, man, I had a really bad autism day or it's been a bad autism week. And so we need to give them an opportunity to be just as honest and as as transparent as they can possibly or as they want to be in sharing their their issues with us. So many times when we do this, it really reduces the possibility that a mom feels judged, that she feels like, hey, I'm not doing this right. My kid has this delay because of me. I am responsible for this. They'll say things like, I let him watch way too much TV. And, oh, my gosh, I didn't realize that he doesn't really know how to day with somebody his attention span is terrible or they may say boy he he's just bad he's just a bad kid he doesn't ever listen you know and they're making it all about behavior and them or they'll say things like I didn't put him in daycare or he didn't go to preschool or we didn't have we we were so busy we didn't have any play dates no wonder he's not talking he's never been around kids you have to just stop them and say this is not your fault This is just a developmental issue. This is how your kid is wired. His system is just different. If he were typically developing, those things would not have mattered as much as it does right now because he has some differences, some learning differences. And so you really always put it back. Now, I'm not saying that we won't. That that environment doesn't play a part because it certainly does. But at the same time, so many parents feel all of this just misplaced guilt that they have created this problem because of something they did or did not do. And most of the time, that is simply not true. Children have these developmental delays because of their um, neurology, because something is not like it should be. And so we have to really talk with parents about that, excuse me, and really help them. I, I mean, I'll say to a parent, this is not your fault. You know, he doesn't have Down syndrome or autism or this significant language delay because of anything you did or did not do. So stop right now blaming yourself for this. And parents are relieved when they hear that. They may still feel a little bit like that. You may not be able to talk them out of that, but you have to address that concern because sometimes they they can't get past it. And here's what I think about. Remember in the 40s and 50s and even 60s when, when we read that literature and remember autism was first blamed on cold mothers, refrigerator mothers is what they call that. Isn't that terrible? that we blamed a child's developmental differences on his mom. Now, as moms, you know, we feel guilty about every little thing. I mean, there's certainly, I can even look at my grandchildren now and think, oh, my gosh, she got that from me. (laughs) You know, I know where this is coming from. I mean, there are things that we do to our kids that we pass on to our kids. But at the same time, you have got to help parents recognize that, This again, any guilt that they are feeling over what's happening is probably misplaced, and it's way too intense for what really, really has happened with their child. And you say, you know, nobody is blaming you for this, so quit blaming yourself. Parents need to hear that kind of thing so that they can move past that inner focus. What did I do? What did you know? All these things, and really turn their efforts outward. So that they're thinking, what can I do right now in this moment to move forward and how can I most effectively help my child. We have to see things that need to be improved with the family and help them with new strategies and new recommendations and we have to give my assistance and information so that they can make these changes and move forward. But really, again, if we're criticizing her and we're just piling more and more and more and more and more guilt on her, that's not going to help anybody. So we need to be really, really careful about that. And, and even when we have a mom who that you think, I cannot believe how many times I have had to tell her, you know, or suggest, or I can't believe she's still doing this, or why can't she see that this would be better, that kind of critical spirit that you have is not going to help parent and here's what happens when we over criticize a parent or when they're feeling like that that a lot of times gets turned right back around on us and the truth is she may not think you're so great at your job either (laughs) and that's what happens with a lot of parents too they kind of switch it and they start thinking well you're not a good therapist because he's not talking yet and that's what I was talking about earlier in the show that we really have to explain language development I, I got a letter from a therapist that I've developed kind of an email relationship with uh, or an email from her, not a letter, uh, several weeks ago that she said that she had gotten fired from a mom who the kid obviously has markers for autism, and they're working on interaction and receptive language and these in play, and the mom fired her because she didn't feel like she was working on the right stuff, and she said, you know, how can I do this better next time, and my advice to her is really talk about the hierarchy for language development, you know, really say, hey, talking, Let's let's stop this focus on expressive language, let's quit Thinking he's going to talk right now in this session if it happens that is fantastic but our focus is on getting him ready to talk and there's a lot he still doesn't know how to do and he's a smart smart little boy and I love him to pieces but based on what I know about language he's just it's just so unfair of us to think he's ready to talk yet we've got to pull this way back and work on what will get him there and you say those things directly and again don't be condemning you, 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 mom. Really pull that back so that you, again, you have that we're in this together mentality. Now, let me end this show with a quote that you've probably heard or read before, but it's so relevant and applicable here. People will forget what you said. People will forget what you did. But people never forget how you made them feel. So when we empower parents and when we make them hear, feel heard and valued and validated and supported, that may be the very best thing that we could ever do for that kid. Just making that mom feel like you can do this. You are good at this. You are the one person in this world who is just uniquely qualified to be this child's mother. And you say those things, and you begin and end, and every session, you know, when you feel like that mom is, again, having a real um, unshaky moment when she's really scared and she really doubts her own ability to be able to do this, you stop what you were doing and you say, hey, I, I think I'm reading you, if I'm reading you incorrectly, you tell me, but to me, you look like you're feeling overwhelmed, or you look scared, or you look like you're You don't think you can do this. And you turn it right around and say, you can do this. I know you can. You are so committed to this baby. And they're, you know, I am just so impressed with your, whatever, you know, your dedication, or if you want to say, I love how you are just working so hard with him, whatever it is that you're saying, you can be specific or you can be more general, but you get in there and you tell a mom that because she may not hear that from anybody but you. And her own voice may be, her own inner critic may be so loud that you don't have to say a word because she is beating herself up all day, every day about what's happening with her child. And so we have to really, really, really counteract that and give her some support and some positive feedback so that she feels like she is capable of moving on and she is qualified to do this and she can make a big, big, big difference with her child. So remember that quote, you've got to help parents feel differently about the situation so that they are emotionally capable and in a, a, in a spot where they're not stuck and they can move on and do the things that you need them to do. And so let me let me just say this to you. If last week you forgot to tell moms and the kids that you see Happy Mother's Day, you got this week. It is not going to be too late. They need to hear those really, really sweet words. You're probably not able to hear a lot of words from their kid yet. That's why they're seeing you they may have nobody else in their life especially if they're a single mother oh my goodness we didn't even talk about the pressures of single parents and that's just a whole new realm of challenge for moms who are doing the whole darn thing by themselves and so if you didn't tell moms especially those moms happy mother's day last week you need to tell them next week because they need to hear from somebody those uh, words that may just make all the difference in the world to them. All right, if you want a written copy of this article, check it out. It's Supporting the Needs of Moms for Mother's Day, and you can find that at teachmetotalk.com. To all of you who are mothers, happy Mother's Day, and I hope that you have your own very, very special day. Thanks so much. I'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.